Now then, welcome back, Sados, to... Uh, do you know what? I don't say now then properly, do I? Because what's his face? He says it more like, now then. Does he really? Now then. I always thought that... Oh, right, okay. Yeah, I'll try it again. Now then. Go on. Welcome. <laughs> I'm going to do the whole thing like him now, aren't I? Now then, welcome back, Sados, to another episode of the Sitcom Archive Deep Dive Overdrive. Hey, Bagum. With me, Ex Benedict. <laughs> you sound like you're trying to be me. <laughs> And me, Alison Barton Simmons. <laughs> After that false start there, um, we're into the we're into it. So let's let's just clarify. We're balls deep into the second series of Dear John, aren't we, Al? We are. We're up to episode three today. Episode three, uh, series two, episode three, we should say, which is entitled "Yes Problems with Toby" and was broadcast on the September the twenty first, nineteen eighty seven. Ooh, I enjoyed this episode. I did. Well, it's better now that Soft Lad's gone. Tosh, isn't it? Yeah, I'm glad that Tosh has gone. I'd, oh, yeah, no, I didn't really enjoy his, his, his part in it. it. I'm glad that he's um, he's left us. Yes, yeah. I enjoyed it as well, and I'm looking forward to I'm in a good mood tonight, Al. Good, I'm glad. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know why. I just feel perky tonight. Well, that's always a plus, isn't it? Now, before we before we get stuck into this week's deep dive, though... People who've been listening to us a long time might recall that we we put this Series 3 to the vote with uh, members of our mailing list and in our Facebook group to see what they wanted us to deep dive. We curated a short list of four sitcoms. Dear John was one, Reggie Perrin was one, Ever Decreasing Circles was one, and what was the other one? I can't remember now. Doesn't matter. (laughs) Did you say open all hours? No, open. Open All Hours was one. Open All Hours? I don't know. (laughs) You might be right. You might be right. Regardless, the the two that were top, jointly top, were Dear John and Reggie Perrin, and so we picked Dear John with the intention of coming back and circling around to Reggie Perrin at a later date. Now, we included that Reggie Perrin option on the shortlist because we've spoken before about how we'd never watched it, but we felt like we'd missed something culturally important. Yeah. And since it came out joint top with Dear John, we've both watched it, haven't we? <laughs> yeah, we have. It's, I don't think it's my cup of tea. No, um, I'm not mad keen either. I mean, I didn't hate it. I also didn't, I wouldn't go as far as to say I liked it either. Mm. I mean, there were funny parts. There were funny parts to it. Yeah. It, it, it's a difficult thing, isn't it? Because we, when we do the podcast... We enjoyed the podcast, and that was always the the understanding that as long as we're enjoying ourselves while we're recording it, and it makes us happy, that's a, a good thing. Yeah, it's not to be a chore, is it? Which it could possibly no. turn into if we if we deep dive every episode of Reggie Perrin. So, so basically, we're we're shafting that idea. <laughs> sorry for anyone who yeah, voted for sorry. it. Yeah, sorry. Um, we don't think it was awful. We, I don't know. I think we were both agreed that it was a little bit dated although i'm sure a lot of the ones that we look at are a little bit dated but there was certainly some misogyny racism homophobia in there that's probably made me a bit more uncomfortable than usual shall we say Mm. yeah i found it a little bit irritating i I did like some of the um the magical realism in it you know that it must have been very innovative and yes shows like 2.4 2.4 children with Belinda Lang. That was that was heavy on fantasy sequences and yeah. things like Scrubs and there's been others. But I can't imagine that there was many, if any, before Reggie Perrin that were doing these little flights of fancy sequences in amongst the main storyline. So 
and it's not without its merits. And and certainly, um, Leonard Rossiter is a, a magnificent performer. So maybe we'll we'll look at Rising Damp instead. Maybe. I think that's a plan. Yeah, not necessarily next. We haven't really decided what's next. So you can send us suggestions as long as it's not Reggie Perry because we don't want to. Reggie Perry. We don't want to do it. Sorry. Oh. I didn't get where I am today by deep diving something I'm not interested in. Did you, Al? <laughs> That's true. That is true. It's got to be something that doesn't feel like it's an effort and that you just can't really get on board with. I think it's got to be something that you want to give time to put your feet up and watch. On the subject of that guy, CJ, the, the boss, he's the most catchphrasey catchphrase man ever, isn't he? Oh, heck. Is he the guy with the five head? Yeah, but he says his catchphrase literally every third line. I've never known someone to overuse the catchphrase quite to the extent of CJ. Yeah. It's very strange. Anyway, we won't shit all over it because if it's your favourite show, good for you. Yeah. So moving on from that awkward little admission that we're not going to do what, what was voted. I feel voted. embarrassed now. Really embarrassed. Yeah, a little bit, yeah. We should be more vigilant in future and only curate things that we've vetted first, I think. I get overexcited, though. I get overexcited and, and, and eager to please. <laughs> yeah, yeah, a little bit. Never mind. So last week we did some limericks and they were hit and miss, mostly miss. <laughs> but uh, we invited listeners to send us some of their own and we've we've got a few. Gareth, our friend from the British Sitcom History Podcast, he sent us a couple. Do you want to read them out, Al? They're brilliant. I will. I will. These are great. <laughs> the one-to-one club has its gits, but none more than Kirk St. Moritz. He's not got much tact, but his suits have impact. It's just the kind of guy that he is. Fantastic. Well done, I Gareth. Like that. Love that one. And his second one, Kirk is as rude as can be, even when he's not taking the pee. He's the brains of a fetus. All right, Mrs. Boyd Peters, you can have that one on me. <laughs> Excellent. Brilliant construction. He's a bit obsessed with Kirk, though, isn't he? Both about Kirk. Well, who's not? That's true. Uh, we also got two brilliant ones from our regular Sado who listens to all our episodes, Lisa. She sent us a couple, and they're really good. The first one was about Kirk. <laughs> Here we go. A fellow in fashion outmoded cried out as a bottom exploded. <laughs> hey, Mrs. Boyd P, have that one on me and grinned as the party imploded. That's brilliant. So much better than ours, aren't they? <laughs> I have to admit. Fab. And the other one from Lisa. There was a game dame named Louise who set divorced folk at their ease with discos and parties disrupted by farties <laughs> while probing for marital sleaze. Excellent. Well done, Lisa. Yes. Next time we do limericks, we should just invite both those guys to, to guest. Yes, just, just, yeah, that's it. Perfect. Now, before we get properly started, would you like to hear a clip of Gene Chalice on the radio in Andover. 
to start with. This is uh, everybody at the party at uh, Philip's house, is it? Jane, Nick, Dave, Simon, John, Helen, Anna, Erica, Caroline and Andy. Happy New Year to you from Philip Morgan. Uh, well, indeed, it is Philip's house down in Andover. I hope you got a house when you wake up tomorrow morning, Philip, still. And Chris and Jim wish all friends and relations at 45 Fairfield Road, West Drayton. Uh, great time to you at the party that's going on there. Yeah, wasn't that amazing? I, I, I can't believe it. That's not how I pictured her voice to be. No, but when you think about it, 70s BBC radio, it kind of makes sense that she's so beautifully spoken, doesn't it? Absolutely. What a gorgeous voice. Yes, so she was, um, oh, I forgot, I haven't written it down, but she was the presenter of a really long-running show that was was on for 35 years. Okay. Family, family requests, family, I can't remember now, sorry. But it was a, it was a show that started just after the war and was something where families could request songs that could be played for their brother or husband who was serving right. away with the army. So it was like, you know, shared connections, so dedicate this song to oh. you type thing. And she was the last presenter of it in the 70s before it finally finished after about 35 years. Oh, well, that's lovely, isn't it? Yeah. I, 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 very sort of like syrupy honey and loveliness, isn't it? I like that. Yeah, very soothing, yeah. Soothing, yeah. And any any acting role I've ever seen her in, she's more aligned to Mrs Arnott than she is Radio 4, yeah. her proper voice. Yeah, she's obviously got a voice for every occasion, I guess. Clever lady. Talented. Hmm. Shall we get stuck into this episode then and have a look at uh, Problems with Toby, Series 2, Episode 3 of Dear John? Indeed, let's do that. Dear John Dear John By the time you read this line So the first thing is, do you know what I noticed? Oh, I went real high there, didn't I? Oh, did you know what? Did you notice, Ben? <laughs> I noticed for the first time that the newspaper on this new credits at the start right. actually has the suburb of London where they live in. Okay. It says Uxbridge and a phone number at the bottom. Did you ring it? I didn't ring it, no, because the number <laughs> the numbers have all changed since then, haven't they? they like three digits. Yeah. <laughs> But no, I didn't try and place an ad. I just noticed they were in Uxbridge, which is northwest London. Okay. Quite an, a nice area, I believe, but probably not yeah. as not as nice as Surbiton in in the southwest. But there we go. A good fifty minute commute from Surbiton to Uxbridge, according to Google Maps these days. Why I looked that up, I've no idea. <laughs> I've no intention of making that journey. But no, there we go. That so that was his paper, the Uxbridge the Uxbridge Times or whatever. Yeah. Actually, that reminds me of that old... Um, do you remember that old Frank Skinner joke about the, the newspaper in Smethwick? No. Well, it wasn't so much a joke as something overheard in a pub, I think. He said he was in a pub and a bloke was reading the Smethwick local newspaper, which is called the Smethwick Telephone. And it, and the guy, who was a stranger to the area, was trying to make conversation and said, why do they call it the Smethwick Telephone? And the bloke went, because it's from Smethwick. <laughs> 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 I 
which is just the best answer ever, isn't it? <laughs> What's your local paper called, Ben? Uh, just the Bolton News now. It was the Bolton Evening News, but they put it out that early that, that it was. Um, they had to remove the word evening. Uh, it comes out first thing in the morning. It's just the bun. The bun, not the Ben. Yeah. Which sounds a bit more Blackburn, really, doesn't it? It's the bun. Bun, yeah. <laughs> But the, a lot of the stuff goes online now. Anyway, it's like a bit of a. It's it's more like a, a pamphlet now, as opposed to the yeah. The, the print industry's dying, isn't it? It is. I remember I was really disappointed when I found out that the Newcastle upon Tyne local paper isn't called the Tyne Daily, because <laughs> that would have been a brilliant name for it, wouldn't it? <laughs> anyway, I'm digressing again. Anyway, let's get stuck in. So the ep- the episode starts with John multitasking. Oh, weird multitasking. Big time, because he's ironing and he's marking books and he's monologuing out loud. Jeez, it's all going on, isn't it? Three things I've never done at the same time, I don't know about you. No, no. The 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 marking books thing while he was ironing in his underpants just made me remember that teachers are real people, because when you're a kid, you just think that teachers, that's all they do, they just teach in school and then... They don't really have any kind of life beyond that. And yeah. there he was, ironing and marking books. You don't, you don't really think about him marking your books no. and being like, you know, sat with a glass of wine in front of Corrie, which is probably what a lot of them do. In my experience, it's exactly what they do, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, doing it in your ironing and marking books and monologuing. And laughing at the kids' work. Yeah, to no one, because he's on his own. A bit worried about his uh, well, mental health, really. I think he's falling apart a little bit. Well, Mrs. Lamency's got it, she's got it covered. She's listening to him um, at the door and says, Crazy man, he ought to be in a nut bin. <laughs> <laughs> she's ace, isn't she? I love her. Nut bin made me laugh. Yeah. And then the phone rings, doesn't it? So Mrs. Lamensky answers it. And, and it turns out it's for John, so she's knocking at the door shouting, Madman, there's a telephone <laughs> for you. Oh. Because John can't cope with adding a fourth thing to his multitasking activity, so he asks Mrs. Lemensky to take a message. But then he twigs that Mrs. Lemensky had said, I'll tell her. Oh, no, it's a woman. It's a woman, and he gets pathetically, ridiculously excited about the fact that there's a woman on the phone for him, and he's shouting, It's a woman, thank you, God. Sad, isn't it? It is, it is. And then when he tries to put his hot trousers on. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, he he urgently pulls those kecks on and dives out into the lobby with his flies open, yelping with pain, doesn't he? And sort of squirting water onto his crotch (laughs) from his eyelid. Mrs. Lemensky makes me really, she really makes me laugh at her because when she spots him doing that, she says, you crazy man, you spray water over your willy. (laughs) It's all in the delivery as well, isn't it? She's, I think she's fab. I like her. She was in an episode of Avida Saint Pet, you know. Was she speaking German? I think she's Austrian oh, rather than German. Yeah. I'll have to see if I can dig it out and share it. So John explains that his trousers are burning hot as he'd just been ironing them, and Mrs. Lemensky says, "Have you got no brains? You should take them off first. <laughs> <laughs> it's a strong opening this scene, isn't it? It is. It is. John, he sort of he takes the phone and he. You can see him like winding himself up, trying to act all suave and sort of like wobbling his head all cocky, getting himself in the zone. And then he says, hi, John Lacey here. Ooh, that, straight away I'd have put the phone down. Yeah. Ooh. But of course, it's just evil Wendy, isn't it? Oh, bad Wendy. So John asks how Toby is 
and if he's looking forward to his birthday party. But Wendy's sort of reticent to to say how Toby is, and she's clearly a bit kind of perturbed by something or other. Yeah, there's something bothering her. Yeah, and and then John, out of courtesy, he asks how Mike is, and Wendy says he's fine. But then Wendy confesses that she's worried about him, obviously meaning Toby. <laughs> but she says he's moody and withdrawn, and she doesn't know what to do. But of course, because it's a sitcom, the misunderstanding ensues, and John assumes Wendy's talking now about Mike and asking his advice. And he's like, "Yeah, she's got a cheek, she's got some gall, asking, telling me all about Mike being it's caught with a, a moody bit on the side." Yeah, a moody fake Welshman. But uh, she's wet. When she says he wet the bed the other night, John's initially saying, "Oh, did he have a skinful?" <laughs> but Was he, he drunk? <laughs> yeah, he quickly realizes they're talking cross purposes, and she's calling him because there are open quotes problems with Toby. Close quotes. Yeah, obvious, really. But there you go. Typical sitcom mix-up. And Toby's teacher has been consulted, and he seems apparently to get more miserable the closer to the weekend he gets. So Wendy. Um, perhaps logically and understandably, wonders if it's having to see his dad at the weekend that's actually getting him down, which is a low blow to John, but you can kind of see Wendy's logic, can't you? Yeah, but I just feel that she would have taken a lot of joy a lot of joy from that. Oh, he doesn't want to go and see his dad, so... But she does say, I'm not saying this to hurt you, I'm just worried about Toby. I know that we don't like Wendy, but it does seem... I'm taking her at face value on this scene. She just seems preoccupied with her son as a good mother should be. Rather than being a, a dick. Yeah, don't worry. She, she'll be a dick in another episode. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so she actually asked John if he maybe can't, maybe do, doesn't see Toby for a couple of weekends. Oh. And it's difficult. And, and John says, "Well, Toby loves his time with me, and he we we go to the park and we play rugby and everything." It's a difficult situation for them both. But John has this idea of hiring this sort of fellow he seems to vaguely know from the top floor, who's um a clown slash children's entertainer. Yeah, that's got a really good afternoon written all over it, hasn't it? Let's hire the man from the top floor of the bedsit where I live. Yeah. <laughs> to be Chuckles the Clown. <laughs> it's got pedo vibes all over it, hasn't it? <laughs> yeah. Oh. I kind of imagined him to, to look like Mr. Jelly from Psychoville, you know, Rishi Smith's character. All right, okay, yeah, so yeah. A really inappropriate looking clown who's just going to make the kids yeah. cry. Oh, dear. But at this point, we cut, we cut to the club and Billy Bullshit Kirk is in full flow. Yeah, he is. Talking about the paddy field being a burning lake of napalm. Yeah. Very graphic, what he's talking about, isn't it? About blood and bones and things. Yeah, he can spin a tail all right. I mean, it doesn't stack up if you examine it too closely. But um, mm. but they're all a bit bored. Oh, aren't they're they? definitely bored. Um, they're, either, they're either mocking him openly or just dozing off from the you know, repetitive bullshit they're having to listen to. Yeah. I realised I'd have to go and get some help. So I laid him down and I said, you rest, buddy. Have a long rest. You laid him down in a paddy field. That means his head was three foot underwater. (laughs) Wise up, Tiger. I gave him some bamboo. Was he planning to make a magazine rack while you were away? You stick the bamboo in your mouth and breathe through it like a snorkel. I staggered through the flames to the water's edge. I turned and I said, I'll be back for your wang. Wang? 
was a South Vietnamese commando case. Yeah, they're called Wang and Ching and things like that. Well, how could I hear you? He was three feet underwater. <laughs> he most probably had other bits of bamboo stuck in his ears. <laughs> And they're all mocking him, but, but Kirk says they will never know the hell we call Nam. Debenam. De- yeah. <laughs> That's the nearest he's got to Nam. <laughs> that should have been Kate's line, shouldn't it? Because when you think about it, Britain didn't even fight in Vietnam. Yeah. Why would he have been there? Harold Wilson, he refused to send military back into the Americans. And yeah. They were sort of, whereas, oh, yeah, it's not, a, it's not a history podcast, is it, Ben? Shut up. Um, <laughs> But Sylvia arrives with her customary annoying laugh. And I think Louise takes that opportunity to shut Kirk up here at this point. Yes. Kate makes her one of her barbed remarks and Kirk says, OK, Tiger, how is the frigid situation these days? Yeah. Oh, why? Why do that? Arsehole. Yeah, a little bit. Louise at this point cajoles Sylvia into telling the Friday night group her backstory which is much to Sylvia's chagrin because she says, look, I've told this umpteen times and I find it very difficult. But Louise loves making her tell this tale over and over again. And it's clear why, because she she whispers to to Kate and John out the corner of her mouth, wait till you hear this one, it's a corker. Oh, it's awful, isn't it, what she does? This is where it gets awkward by today's standards, really, isn't it? Yeah. This story. Yes, it does. Very much a hashtag different time situation. So we learn that Sylvia was married to George for 12 years and they had two children and they lived happily in Sudbury and went to clubs and they attended Latin American ballroom dancing and all was pleasant and well. But she's not going fast enough for Louise. She wants her to get to the juicy bit because <laughs> she's she a does. vampire. <laughs> Apparently what happened was Sylvia came home from late night shopping one Thursday. Another reference to late night shopping in the 80s, which we've yes. already covered. Yeah. And when she went in, she couldn't find George, despite his Montego being parked on the drive. But what she did find in her bedroom was a woman sitting at her dressing table, putting on her makeup. Yes. Ralph says, how odd. And I guess the audience here naturally assume an affair is ensuing between George and whoever's sat at Sylvia's dressing table. But when Ralph asks where George was, Sylvia says, sitting at my dressing table, putting on makeup, delivering the the punchline that George was a cross-dresser at minimum, I guess. Yeah. And and John's wincing at this revelation because John's, you know, an empathetic guy. And the others just don't seem to be able to wrap their heads around it at all, do they? No, it seemed like a bigger bigger thing than they could even contemplate. Yeah. I think eventually Kirk kind of twigs what's going on. And he just cruelly starts laughing his head off. And he says to Ralph, Georgie boy was a sissy. Yeah, which I found really odd. And I know it's hashtag different times. And last week's very sort of progressive stuff with regards to safe sex and AIDS. Mm. This obviously was, it wasn't on the same radar at the same time, I don't think, was it? Well, ultimately, one guy wrote it. So I guess it reflects his... There may well have been people who were more sympathetic to cross-dressers. Not in my experience of the 80s, there wasn't. But um, I think it's more of a, more something that's made developments in in latter-day times. Yes. So John asks what Sylvia did at this point. And this this is, just shows what a vampire that Louise is, because she's mouthing the words along with Sylvia. Yeah, so she's heard this story so many times that she knows. Yeah. 
what comes next. It's it's ghoulish, isn't it? It really is. Yeah, it's like she's listening to her favourite record and she's delighting in the yeah the suffering of this poor woman because she's mm. really upset, Sylvia. She is. And Sylvia says George told her he felt like a woman trapped in a man's body and then more hysterics from Kirk who just finds the whole thing hysterical. Mm. And after that, George came out of the closet, gave away all his clothes and bought an entirely new women's wardrobe. Louise is delirious with excitement at this, you know, this revelation. She's looking around to see yeah. everyone's reaction. But John, being John, he just says, oh, how did it affect the kids? Yeah. Asking the questions that you would expect from a, a supportive encounter group. Tact. Yeah. Yes. Sylvia says they suffered derision and mockery at school, which does not surprise me, this being the 1980s. John then says, well, you should have told the teachers. And Sylvia adds that she did, and then they stopped. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which is, yeah, you can sort of believe that, can't you? Well, you can almost, it almost misses the mark, that, because it's not explicit that it was the teachers making no. the jokes. But no, it did sort of land in a way that the Vietnam remark by Kirk didn't land, because I would have thought people yeah. would be laughing at how ridiculous him saying, well, that's what we called Nam, when yeah. surely everyone knew that Britain weren't in Vietnam. Weren't even part of it, yeah. There's a great gag here, though, in amongst all of this kind of, like, inappropriate stuff. So I did the catch at the scuba diving club. Cope with having a transvestual, as a member. We had to resign. <laughs> George's own fault, really. Instead of telling them the truth and allowing them time to get used to the idea, he just turned up one evening wearing my one-piece Halton X swimsuit. <laughs> Too much. Too soon, you see. He was a fat chap as well, wasn't he? I never understood how he managed to squeeze into it. It had adjustable size. Oh. What about the ballroom? <laughs> Sorry, Ralph. The Latin American formations. Were they more understanding? <laughs> it was... Oh, his face as well. He was so deadpan, just obviously honest with what he was asking. It was such a yeah, really good joke. But that that's a callback in case you miss it to the to the reference to them both being ballroom dancers. Ballroom dancers. A couple of minutes earlier. What about the ballroom? Brilliant. What Ralph's asking is how did they all react to George's changing appearance? But it's such such a great punchline. Sylvia finds the whole thing very difficult, and she's weeping, and she says. Maybe I wasn't a real woman, and Kurt cruelly says, well, that makes two of you. Oh. And then she says quite a profound line at the end of this tale. She says, what can you do when somebody doesn't need you? You can't hold on to them. There's nothing to hold on to. Yeah. True. And then Louise jumps up and just carries on. She doesn't even acknowledge or thank Sylvia for telling the group or sharing her story. She just jumps up like nothing's happened. Yeah, it's a really, oh, it made me feel uncomfortable. Well, she's just moving on to any other business, which is we're all, oh, having, we're is. all having a shindig at the Italian restaurant. Absolutely. Okay, yeah? Yeah. Because John's got Toby's birthday party on the Sunday, which Louise has booked the restaurant. So I'm thinking, oh, maybe can't meet. I'm worried about John's diary at this point. <laughs> <laughs> What's he going to get there? Yeah. <laughs> Oh, I'm bloody hell, John. You better get your file of facts out because it is the yeah, 80s. Yeah, <laughs> file of facts. <laughs> From W.H. Smith. Of course, file of facts was the subject of a, a gag in Fool's Norses that, that he wrote as well, wasn't it? Yes, it was. Didn't think of that. Yeah. 
So it cuts to John and he's with Toby and they're chatting outside the cafe. And John's bought a coffee and an ice cream for Toby. And Toby sat there and he's, he's really quite introverted, isn't he? Yeah. He doesn't look like a happy little boy. But nevertheless, the relationship between him and him and John is very naturalistic again, as we've talked about before, no doubt due to the sort of father-son dynamic between the actors, Bates, Will and Ralph. I think he's a good little actor as well. He's, he's You know, some kids you just think, oh, you're not even believable as a kid. Mm. And you are a kid. Yeah. But I think he's a really good little actor. He is a believable character. Yeah. When you say that, did you have someone in mind? What, as a kid that can't act? Yeah, because my mind always um, goes to the same kid. Go on. Emma Watson in the early Harry Potter films. She grew into it, to be fair, but she was yeah. fucking abysmal in them early ones. There's a lot of like wooden kids that... I, I think Daniel Radcliffe as, as Harry Potter. I don't I don't get why he was cast. I just think he was, he was wooden. No, he, yeah, he's not got much better either, to be fair. There are a few of them, but no, Will Bates does mm. a good job. But he's a really, but he's really good, yeah. And John, John suggests a bit of um, rugby practice and produces a ball from nowhere. And Toby, yeah. he looks totally nonplussed. He says, "Well, my legs are aching from playing rugby with Mike this morning," which is one of those yeah. it kicks in the balls to John again. Literally, yeah. And John gives Toby this rugby ball as his present, and again, Will. Will Bates is doing a good job here of, of balancing being grateful to his dad and saying thank mm. you while still underwhelmed and vaguely kind of discombobulated with life. Yeah. There's something troubling him. And he says to John, now I'm nine, I'm not a child anymore. He's cute. So I'm not going to be kissing you anymore. It's always a bit of a heartbreaking <laughs> moment, that, isn't it, when you when your kids don't want to hold your hand or kiss you at the gates. Yeah. John tries to get to the crux of what's up with Toby and he's encouraging Toby to talk things through rather than bury his feelings. And he says, I'm a good listener. I had lots of practice when I was married to, married to your mum. <laughs> I bet he did. And Toby looks like he's going to open up, but then he backs out and he says, oh, I'm all right, I'm all right. And it's quite moving now because you get John giving Toby some really strong fatherly advice. He says, don't hide from people or be ashamed to tell people that you're afraid or worried. And, and promise me you'll never hide from people. Quite poignant, isn't it? It's quite lovely, that. It is poignant. And you've got to wonder if, in latter years, if indeed Will Bates chose to re-watch Dear John, whether that mm. was painful to watch because of you know losing his dad so young. Yeah. Because it's really kind of tender moment between the two characters, isn't it? It is. It is. It's lovely. It's all an example, I think, of, of John Sullivan's talent for interlacing tender and emotional scenes with his comedy, which we talked about before. He was brilliant at it. Absolutely. And this is a great setup for the next bit. Because mm. while you're in the midst of all the sort of empathic relationship between father and son, then <laughs> in the distance, who do we see running towards them? <laughs> yep. Kirk is jogging along in a Dire Straits <laughs> headband with Sonny's and a Walkman. And randomly clicking his fingers at women as he jigs past them, oh. isn't he? <laughs> He's got his trackies tucked into some long socks as well, more of which I will talk about later. But yeah, he's. He, oh. But it's brilliant because he's turned it on a sixpence. It was really tender and emotional. And then there's this great yes. gag of this fucking moron coming along. And they duck under the table, which I loved the fact that you shouldn't hide from people, son. And there they are <laughs> under the table. He justifies it, doesn't he, by saying, this is an emergency. <laughs> 
But Kirk clocks them straight away. He comes over. He says, what are you doing down there? And Toby says, we're hiding from one of daddy's friends. <laughs> <laughs> but Kirk's got no idea. Kirk has no idea that that friend is him. Because he's got no self-awareness, has he? So he's no. just looking around thinking, ooh. Yeah. Well, who is it? Who is it? Exactly. Exactly. The thing is, like with people like that, if you if you think that you don't know someone like that, it's because it's, it's you. you, yeah. You are that person. Yeah. Thankfully, I know many people like that. <laughs> <laughs> Could also still be me, I suppose. I don't think so. Did you notice the bulge of Kirk's knob in all of this clobber? It's rather visible. No, I didn't. Well, that's probably for the best. His knob's at eye level with Toby, and it's... <laughs> And it's he's bulging in his tight jogging shorts. I was thinking, poor kid. Oh, dear. I bet it was a sock rolled up. I don't think that was real then. You know what he's like? I think he would have had something tucked in his underpants to make his willy look bigger. Yeah, possibly so. Possibly, what again, what inspired that character in Only Fools and Horses, you know, the singer who had, yeah. who had stuff tucked into his kegs. Yeah. I thought the Tell me now, what can I do? Kirk says, who's a spooky little kid? (laughs) And John introduces them, albeit reluctantly. And Toby's quite impressed, isn't he? Because John says Kirk's a spy. Yes. And he's he's asking Kirk about it. And and then John says, look, I'm taking my son out for the day. Just the two of us alone, no one else. So obviously Kirk says, oh, I'll join you. (laughs) Oh, of course he does. No self-awareness. Clearly, Toby is naively very impressed with Kirk and his bullshit, his bravado about spying and everything. And he excitedly runs off with Kirk to throw stones at model boats. Throw stones? Oh, my goodness. I'd like to hope John stopped that before it went too far. You're a lunatic person. They should put you home for fruitcase people. So then we cut to the Italian restaurant where the rest of the one-to-one club are are busy enjoying their starters at this point. Yeah, John has to rock up late, doesn't he? Yeah. Because there's been there's been an incident between Kirk and the clown. Kirk ended up at ended up at the birthday party and really made me laugh. And then they ended up being a fight between the two of them. Yeah, John tells Kate that the birthday party was an unmitigated disaster. But the, the gag at first is that there was there was a fight and I think Sylvia says, Well kids kids will be they'll be best friends tomorrow. You know what kids are like. Yeah. And that's when the reveal is that it was actually Kirk because Toby's invited him and Kirk stomps in, doesn't he, with like bits of string and a balloon and a party bag. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) He says, I didn't start it to John straight away. And Louise says to to John, she's incredulous that he would have invited Kirk, but of course it was Toby because he's excited by all these tales of dare doing and everything. 
transpires Kirk hit the other guy because he sprayed water at him. But of course, the other guy was Mr. Jolly from the bedsit upstairs yeah. that John hired doing his clown thing. And Kirk hadn't realised this, which was his excuse. Why did you hit him? He sprayed water at me. He was a clown. And I was supposed to know that. <laughs> Didn't he have a red nose? Eventually. <laughs> He wore multicoloured boots, makeup, and a curly wig. Well, so does her old man. <laughs> What's weird at this point is that Louise is like, rather than having her own starter, she's supervising the eating of the starters by wandering around with a clipboard. Have a day off, Louise. I didn't. I didn't spot that. Really? Yeah, yeah. Another thing to do. She just. She's still got a clipboard. She's wandering around checking that everyone's enjoying themselves. And I thought, <laughs> yeah, I'll treat yourself, Louise. Yes, you do. Have some soup. John didn't manage to find out what was bugging Toby, but Toby did ask him not to take him out for the next few Sundays. Oh, that's sad, isn't it? And and John's more than a tad heartbroken at this, and he's very upset. Kurt doesn't know what he's done wrong, so he's already in John's bad books. Mm. But John actually loses his rag with all of them for telling him it's something he's going to have to live with. And I can kind of understand because they don't have that problem, any of them. Yeah. And they can't necessarily relate to it without kids of their own. But he goes a bit far by telling them, you don't know anything about it, you don't have kids. And Louise particularly is is upset. Well, you certainly know how to hit below the belt. I wanted to have children, but I couldn't have them. And you know why. It wasn't my fault. And yet the first chance you get, you throw my husband's vein in my face. <laughs> it's quite the image. It's a bit like my friend's varicose vein, isn't it? It is. <laughs> John then snaps at both Ralph, who's waxing lyrically about the loyalty of terrapins. And his terrapins! Yeah, he loves his terrapins. <laughs> and, and he also snaps at Sylvia for comparing Toby's refusal to see John with her own kids' reluctance to see their dad. And John says, yeah. I don't take my boy out dressed up like Tootsie, which I know I shouldn't <laughs> laugh at, but it was pretty funny line. Yeah. Because I like that movie. You wouldn't get away with showing mm. it now, would you? Tootsie. I don't think so, No. That reminds me of going to the um, the video shop when I was little. I used to I used to love the picture on the cover of Dustin Hoffman dressed up as yeah. something with the red dress on. He made quite a convincing woman of that type, I thought. Dustin Hoffman. It was that. years. I was years older before I realised that that was a, a male actor dressed up as as a lady. Mm. There is quite a bit of pathos to that movie, and maybe it would you would get away with showing it because of some of the lessons in it. I don't know. Hmm. You wouldn't get away with making it, certainly. <laughs> Maybe you get no, away, no. You know, in, in this age, it would be, well, only a trans person can play a trans role. Can play it. Mm. Kirk says to John, go boil your head. Yeah. And the night's ruined, and we cut to John picking up Toby from school, presumably uh, Monday morning the following day. It it was quite soon after as well, because Toby had said, I don't want... I don't want to, to sort of see you at weekends. I don't want you to, to come and pick me up. And he's there. It's like only like two days after and, and there's John. Yeah, he's just, he's clearly just trying to force the issue and find out what's wrong with him rather than just stay away. And you can understand mm. he's got not much else in his life, is he? He doesn't want to listen to Ralph going on about terrapins all the time. <laughs> I think Wendy's car's broken down as well. So, so John's like stepped in to, to help out. So that... On the, on the way home from school, John kneels down to talk to Toby. 
um, and asks him to explain why he doesn't want to see him because I think he's got a right to know and he's obviously really worried he doesn't want this relationship to break down because he's not because they're no longer living in in in, in like a house together as a, as a family and Toby admits at this point that the reason why he doesn't want to see his dad is because he doesn't like rugby mm, that was it all really along interesting. Wasn't it? it was rugby all along um, but John says that he doesn't like it either but but he thought that Toby did, so he was trying to really make an effort. And I think I think the mic and the rugby thing is obviously playing on John's mind, isn't it? He doesn't want to. He wants to he compete, doesn't want this doesn't guy he? that's just yeah. It's a competition between John and Mike, really. So John thought that to compete, he would have to sort of up his rugby to 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 keep Toby on side. But Toby doesn't like he doesn't like rugby. He didn't want to hurt his dad's feelings, which is quite cute. But John says that Toby's his best mate. And they both like soccer. Why they call it soccer? And I don't know. It's football, isn't it? And then they did a kind of cringy little jump in the air together. I love the jump. I thought the jump was really cute. They sort of they do a bit of a chant, don't they? Which I thought was really sweet. And then they both jump in the air, and it ends mid shot with them in the air, which I quite liked. It's a bit of a Jossie's giant thing, wasn't it? It is. Yeah, it was. It was. I loved it. I loved the ending, and I was so glad because it sort of came full circle for John. I think just knowing that your son still likes you. He wasn't really bothered about much else. He just wanted to be liked by his son and needed mm. and wanted by his son. And, and he got that at the end, which I was really pleased about. Yeah, it was a nice feel-good ending. It was. Seems we've sung love's last song. So, was there anything else from the episode you wanted to talk about? I had one thing that I wanted to ask. Oh, go on. Who's that rando sat next to Louise with the tash? You clock him? No, that was that was under the radar, but at their table. Yeah, I mean they've cleverly shot it, and we know it's a Monday, Wednesday, Friday night. Is it a mixture? Yeah, and they've cleverly shot it. Except at one point, you get an angle where Louise is sat right next to this guy, who's clearly just like watching the conversation take place. <laughs> it's too close but, but to be ignored. No part in it. Yeah, he's just oh. he's, he's just a guy with a tash who's just sort of watching this argument take place passively, and it's a bit weird. Well, it worked on me because he was obviously there for filler and I took no notice of him, so... Yeah. But no, I didn't spot him. I didn't spot him. Perhaps other, others didn't either, but for me, I was just suddenly like, who's this Who's this chancer with Louise? Could you Could you not stop staring at him once you'd spotted him either? Well, he was a bit... Um, he was very 1980s looking. Right. I put a screenshot up on social media. Yeah. Yeah, he, he sticks out like a sore thumb. Okay. Talking of things that stuck stuck out like a sore thumb, I've got a couple of um, bric-a-bracs. Oh, go on. The boxes of crisps in the cafe where John gets his coffee and his ice cream. Did you see them? Okay. What were they? Well, this is it. I couldn't tell what it is. It's really frustrating. I wanted to see what they were, but they were enticing because they were those type of boxes, you know, with the hole that live on a shelf. Yeah, yeah. Reams of them. Wall of crisps. Wall of crisps. The wall of crisps. Like the wall of fags in The Good Life that time. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And also the wheels on the wall in the restaurant that was very in vogue. There was big wheels on every oh, spare right. bit of wall, like almost okay. like Roman wheel type thing. Right. Which um again, not necessarily eighties, I would say you saw a lot of that in the nineties, you know. And then it yeah. led on to stupid things like people putting bikes on walls and shit like that. Yeah, near us we've got a there's a, a pub slash restaurant. In fact, last time you came over, we went there, you know, just down the road from us. Yeah. And they've got a bike on the wall there. 
I think it's got letters, I think, to make it into the word food. What? You're spelling out the word food with bikes? No, just one bike. Right. That's the double O. And then there's an F at the beginning and a D at the end with a bike. What's that made of? A climbing frame? (laughs) (laughs) It's one of them restaurants where they bring you food in, like, random, like, mess tins and things. It bothers me a bit. Yeah. Good food, though. I remember that, actually. Yeah, it was. Yeah, should we give them a plug? What are they called? It's the railway in Bromley Cross. Yep, right by the station. It is. The bike on the wall. Did you get any bric-a-brac or should we just move on to MVP? George, George's Montego in the drive. Oh yeah, that's all this time. We don't it? see it, but it's mentioned. Just the fact that it was a Montego, it just made me go, God, yeah, you don't hear about Montegos anymore, do you? Do you know, because um, obviously, as we established earlier, I'm a football fan. In the 90s, yeah. the Arsenal fans used to sing... My old man's got a Ford Sierra. He bought it off of Pat Vieira. <laughs> and I, thought, I used to think to myself, no one's got a Ford Sierra in 1998. <laughs> no, I, that, to me, that's like a late 80s thing. Definitely. You wouldn't see a Ford Sierra then. It's like you don't see any Ford Escorts anymore. There's a guy, there's one, a, a dad from school, one of my, my daughter, my daughter's school, one of the dads, I think he must deal in, in, um, 80s and 90s cars, so every so often you'll turn up in like a Sierra or a Cortina. Mm. And I quite like it. I quite like quite like it as they, as they drive off and it's like so noisy <laughs> and just looks out of place. It just looks t- totally out of place, but I, I, I do quite like it. He's sourcing leaded petrol directly from Shell, is he? Just to make it <laughs> yeah, run. he's putting four star in it. <laughs> he's got a choke and everything. <laughs> I lament the end, the the demise of the choke because it it led to that great joke when someone drops one and you can go just give it a bit more choke. <laughs> <laughs> You'll get there. Oh, I used to flood my my car. I had a little. My first ever car was a Fiat Panda that couldn't. It couldn't it, even on the on the loveliest summer day. It couldn't cope without having the choke pumped fully out. And then I'd forget and just set off, and then it'd just die because I'd I'd just flooded the engine. Yeah. They don't know how, how easy they've got it, do they? I mean, turning around a corner used to give you like a whiplash situation, <laughs> didn't it? When, before yeah. power steering came in. Yeah. My oldest now, he's passed his test a few years ago, didn't even bother learning to drive manual. Just got an automatic license. Just got an automatic. Yeah, and he probably never will have to drive manual. There is there is something a lot more straightforward about driving an automatic, but I like the control of a stick. I do. I mean, just... I said to him, you're only licensed to drive a Dodgem, really. I don't consider it proper driving. Yeah, it's like a Mario Kart, isn't it? I thought I had, I thought I had another bric-a-brac, but I don't. Oh, okay. Maybe that was my only, my only bric-a-brac. I can't find it. So there's a lot of fashions on show in this one, with them all going out for a fancy meal. So I'm sure you got a lot to talk about. Not least Kirk in his, um, in his awful jogging clothes. <laughs> so let's have a trip over to Fashion Corner. Whatever happened to those clothes we wore It seems we never wear those clothes no more Fashion cold As I've mentioned in previous episodes, we're getting quite a, a revisit on a week-to-week basis of some of the fashions, although there are quite a few new items on display in this fashion corner. First of all, though, special mention to Mrs. Lemenska in her navy blue patterned overall. She seems to put this on quite a lot. I wonder if she's got... Do you think she works 
I just think she just she just stares in and, and potters about all the time. Well, she'd have been about. She'd have been in her seventies, yeah. Do you think? So maybe the character, maybe the character's been retired. I bet she's had some kind of job, like in a, a mill or or a, or a like a like so. I can picture her sewing, you know, like in a big room full of other women sewing that kind of job. Yeah. But it's more like the patterns on the pattern that you find on it is more reminiscent of of earlier styles, like maybe the fifties or the sixties. But I think perhaps you're not supposed to believe that she's up to date and trendy. She's she's I think she's just quite a dated older lady. Wendy, we see in a patterned green and pink t-shirt dress with a belted waist, and I've seen a lot of these t-shirt dresses recently. But these are these are something that have made a comeback. T-shirt dresses with like a nipped in nipped in waist, made out of like a t-shirt material. Right. Louise, we see her in a Cadbury purple top and skirt with three-quarter length um, sleeves on on the shirt. And with like a ten denier purple tights on as well, so matching tights, tights in the same colour as the as the outfit, which is full on. She looks like a twirl bar. <laughs> twirl bar. A spira. A spira would be more appropriate. A spira. She's like a spira. Oh, a spira. Oh, I loved a spira. You could drink hot chocolate through a spira. Could you? Yeah, because it was I wish like I bloody straw. could. I'd love to go back and drink a hot chocolate through a spira. Through a spira. Oof. Not much you can do it through, no. Try doing that with a flake and you'll just end up with mess everywhere, wouldn't you? No, just mush. <laughs> and we later see her in like an animal print long cardigan at the restaurant of a, a black a black outfit underneath. The print, though, the print that the, the, the jacket is is quite reminiscent of the era, although it wouldn't look daft now. I think I think this this sort of animal print thing is back, so she doesn't really look dated in what she's wearing, and it had a, like a long waterfall collar down the front as well. Kirk, at the start of the episode, he's dressed in what at first I thought was sort of circa nineteen ninety three Manchester United away kit. Oh yeah, with and the badge. I know what you mean. It, it was like a, a, a Chinese logoed um, silken jacket with like a motif and emblems all over it I can imagine that would be something that you could you'd be able to buy in like I don't know like like a super dry kind of jacket Mm. so quite not an off trend thing for 2022 I don't think well do you know what it reminded me of what well two things one was like the type of gear that people wear sometimes at the Formula One who are in the pit stops and stuff all right. But also, I'm sure Lister had a jacket exactly like that in Red Dwarf. Okay. Around the first two series, which is kind of like broadcast at the same time as this, really. So maybe they were just in vogue. Mm. I mean, I don't mean in yeah. vogue in like 200 million years in the future. I mean, at the time of filming. <laughs> yes. Yeah. It was. I quite liked it, though. I quite like that jacket. However, he lets himself down later on in his in the park in his in his running gear. He's got like a running white vest top on. And it's got, here's my other bric-a-brac. I knew I had another bric-a-brac. The, the front of the white vest top had sub four written on it hmm. in like a digital font, hmm. like a calculator kind of style writing, which you don't see very often now. But I can imagine at the time it was very, it was quite trendy and yeah. modern looking. Very Trump. Um, yeah. Sky blue nylon tracksuit bottoms tucked into his long white socks. He also had like a Walkman around his waist and shades on and a sweatband. 
What that means? Did Dick Turpin wear trainers? <laughs> no, but they look like Dick Turpin shoes. But on closer inspection, it was them them training. You, you might have worn them when you were doing like football training at primary school or high school. They had like a really big flap over the front that came over the laces. You don't see them anymore. I remember them. I didn't. I don't think I owned any. But, but yeah. they look like Dick Turpin shoes, you know, like with a buckle on the front. I got a bit, a bit, a bit confused. <laughs> um, so they weren't Dick Turpin trainers. They were the, the ones with that, the, the flappy bit over the laces. So he did look very. It looks quite dated now what he had on. Mm. But I think that what Kirk was going for was like ultra modern looking sportsman. And mm. <laughs> failing. Yeah, big time. But with the, the the Walkman around his waist on a belt as well. That's very of the. Of the time, isn't it? Kate, um, we see dressed in a, a peach long-sleeved t-shirt dress with a belt. Again, the style that I mentioned previously that Wendy was wearing. Uh, looks like kind of calf length. I, I remember my mum having dresses like this, like just long, long-sleeved t-shirt dresses. Sylvia is dressed in the meeting in a green and blue leaf print dress with short-sleeved mid-calf length nipped in at the waist quite a, quite a pretty dress really and something that print I think you would see you, you see it in, in modern shops on the high street yeah I know what you mean it's, it didn't look like it was out of place no not at all there's quite a lot of this fashion that, I'm, that, I'm, that is very reminiscent of, of now it doesn't feel doesn't feel very dated the men seem to be dated more than the women to be honest um, but yeah so that's the round up for this week I've got a couple there go on I didn't like that thing around Kate's neck that she had at the dinner. She always seems to have big bulky bloody pro- prominent things around her neck. Not chokers, but like she's fucking St. Bernard or something. She's got a big a big yeah. something. <laughs> a big thing, yeah. But I think that was of the time. It wasn't like delicate jewellery. It was like really big, big chunky bulky, yeah. dynasty looking jewellery. Yeah. I mean, Belinda Lang still looked good because Belinda Lang gorgeous woman yeah but she was... she'd be hard pushed to look anything other than good i think wouldn't she? yeah even with the saint bernard thing on <laughs> and the other thing was i don't know if you picked up on this but ralph was in his usual attire except he had a dicky bow <laughs> Did he? Oh, he had a dicky bow for his night out yeah he'd made the effort and wore exactly the same clothes he always wears except when he's dazzling darren but with the dicky bow yeah oh <laughs> i like that so if you're liking what we're doing, follow us at Saddo Podcast on Twitter and Instagram, where we post rare photos and videos on Dear John, Faulty Towers, The Good Life and more. We have a Facebook page that you can find by searching Saddo Podcast, and we also have a growing Facebook group that you can join and contribute to with discussion or memes, rarities, anything that you might find yourself. Subscribe to our newsletter by visiting our website, saddo.club, where you can also get more information about us, read the blogs, share us a coffee, and listen to episodes if you don't do podcast apps. You can also watch the original episodes that we discuss on our episode notes pages, or take our super tricky Good Life and Faulty Towers quizzes. Get in touch, email us at saddopodcast at gmail.com, subscribe and leave us a review on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts from. So, uh, just before we finish then, I guess we need to pick an MVP from this one. Well, it's not Louise. No, 
No, I've got written down here, Louise and Kirk are the anti-MVPs because yeah, they were so they? horrible. I, I almost yeah. want to deduct previously awarded MVPs from them pair of pricks. To take, knock, them a, knock them a point off each. Yeah, mm. definitely not them. So who did you go for? I've gone for John this week. Yeah, me too. <laughs> I've gone for John just because... He's so easy to go for, isn't he? Yeah. On, on, in previous weeks, I've, I've struggled to sort of think about John as being um, the good guy that we hoped he would be. But this week, I do think for his uh, his empathy and his care and his love for just wanting Toby to be to be his mate. He just wants mm. he just wants Toby to be his friend. And despite the fact they hid under the table from Kirk, which is quite understandable. Totally understandable, yeah. And yeah. he also lost his temper with the group, but I'd sympathise with him there too. I could see where he was coming from. Yeah. And so for me this week, it's definitely John. I kind of wanted to give it to Ralph for his dicky bow and his, and his line about, what about ballroom. the ballroom? <laughs> <laughs> but no, yeah, John, definitely. John must be streaming ahead at this point. I think so. He has his off days, but he's, yeah, he's the usual one, isn't he? With four episodes to go, do you know who's not even had a vote yet? Um, Kate. Yeah. And it's weird because we love Belinda Lang and she, she does a great job, but she's not had an MVP yet in this series. I might have given it to her for, for the way she said wang twice <laughs> in this episode. <laughs> it was a really over-exaggerated wang. <laughs> Surprised that you haven't given it to her for calling Kirk a dickhead in the past because you love that, don't you? I do. I like it when she when she refers to him as a dickhead. Next week we are up to series two, episode four. Do you know what the episode's called for next week, Ben? I do. It is called Sanctuary. Oh, that sounds like it's calming, pleasant. I bet it's not though, is it? Not, not really. <laughs> no, it's not. No, I think John's John's having some success with women for once in his life, but he ends up having to um, change his plans because Ken requires sanctuary oh. from Marlene, who's oh, on the warpath. Woody Ken again. Yeah, he's a tit, isn't he? It's good, to, yeah. good that Sue Holderness is back. Yes. Like Excellent. her. So, yeah, we'll deep dive that one for you next week. Before we go this week, um, we've got a bit of a recommendation for you. There's the Goon Show pod, if you're into the goons. Ooh. Do you like the goons, Al? I do like the I like the goons. I catch them on Radio Four Extra in the UK. Well, there's a great um, podcast you can listen to. I mean, there's so many the podcast world is overly saturated, and we contribute to that. We know that, but if yeah. uh, we figure that there might be some people who listen to this, given that it's a sitcom podcast, who also would be into the goons. So um, it's a really good podcast, and it it kind of deep dives all of the goon stuff. So oh. yeah, get stuck into that. It's called the Goon Show Pod. And we'll see you next week for Series 2, Episode 4, Sanctuary. I'll see thee. Yeah. Dear John, dear John, by the time you read this line, I'll be gone.